0: Welcome, Welcome to Shake, 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 a podcast about classics, cocktails, and casting. I'm Cody Jackman. And I'm Alexandra Wright. Two LA actors passionate about Shakespeare who will be entertaining you, hopefully, for the next hour-ish. As actors, we know how much personal experience and an actor's background shapes so much of what is brought to a character. This podcast
1: is about what happens when two actors with diverse backgrounds prep the same role. So grab a drink and settle in. Well, welcome to an episode of Shakespeare and Sexuality. Uh, today we have the wonderful Will Block on our episode. Will, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure, I always love talking about myself. Um, hi, I'm Will Block. Um, I'm a classical actor and director. Um, I'm the artistic director of Method and Madness, which is um, an LA-based immersive classical company. Um, so our, our, our mission is to put on the works of William Shakespeare in in a uh, generally sort of outside the proscenium arch. We always try and find a way to more directly um, engage the audience with the plays. Um, our our method, our our belief is that the plays work best when they're played with an audience as opposed to for or two or at an audience. Um, so that's sort of what I've been doing, and it's what I'm passionate about, and I love talking about it. So I'm so happy to be here.
0: Well, would you mind just in case we have a viewer? your listener who's like what is a proscenium arch? Can oh, yeah. you explain that? So a proscenium so um
2: there are a few uh, basically there are a few different type uh, stages don't come in in cookie cutter form. There are a, a whole plethora of different types of audience and stage configurations and the, a proscenium arch um, is a, a type of stage configuration that conceives of the stage as a, a as a box that you look into. So the audience is all on one side of the stage. Um, and then uh, the stage is essentially another room with the fourth wall missing, so that we're able to peek into it. Um, it's uh, it's a, a type of thea- theatrical space that came to prominence in the 19th century, um, and it's it it really removes the audience. It really creates a firm barrier between the viewers and the actors, so that we are so that the audience is precisely that that they are viewers, they're spectators as opposed to participants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's become the dominant form of, of theatrical space, um, especially for at least a lot of Shakespeare that I see. Um, and the, as, as both of you know, you know, the, the globe theater was a much more, um, you know, it was technically a thrust, but you know, the, the, the groundlings were, were sort of in and around the space. Uh, the plays were performed without intermission and, and, um, frequently with little to no rehearsal. And there was, there, it allowed for a lot of Back and forth between the actors and the audience, so that you know, mm-hmm. if someone comes out at the top of "to be or not to be," it doesn't become a, just a rumination on death. It becomes a—he's able to make eye contact with specific audience members and and yeah. connect that personally. So that's the kind of experience that I'm I'm really sort of interested in in trying to create, which um, is hard to do in COVID times when all we have is the zooms. But uh, yeah. we we will again one day.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that Definitely beautiful explanation. That was wonderful. And I love that. Yeah, it was like you prepared that, but it we was, did not tell you. We, we, we were not. No, that we was did not a tell you. Quiz. We were asking that question, and I have gotten on this soapbox
2: many times in many bars, so <laughs> I I have it in my hip pocket.
0: Beautiful job. So, what character are you wanting to chat about today? So I would like to talk
2: about Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet. Ah,
1: okay, I love this one. Yeah, feel free to just go into it. Have a have a chat with us about Mercutio and his sexuality.
2: Oh, I will. Um, and uh, the, the the first thing that I want to say, sort of right off right off the bat, is um, I I don't are part of the reason that I chose Mercutio is that I think there's there are very valid arguments on both sides. Um, mm. I, I don't think that. I've seen Mercutio played as, as a raging heterosexual, and the plays worked. Um, and I've never actually seen him performed as a homosexual before, mm. which is sort of part of the reason that I wanted to do this. Um, Mercutio was my gateway drug to Shakespeare. Um, one of my first um, experiences with uh, this body of work in any form was my mother uh, was an English teacher for many years. Um, she actually she taught Romeo and Juliet when I was in utero when I was developing, um, mm. and this is this is her favorite play. Um, it's not mine actually. We actually we 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 get into a, we we fight about the sort of the the merit of Romeo and Juliet <laughs> often and violently. Um, but uh, but she showed me the Zeffirelli film when I was quite young. When I was probably yeah. six or seven years old. Um, and I fell in love with John McEnery's performance in that. The late—I just found out he died too. Um, also, what a life! Like John McEnery had just one of the sort of this like this weird eclectic career. Like looked like he was gonna shoot to stardom in the late '60s after Romeo and Juliet, yeah, and then yeah. sort of didn't. Um, and and was a was actually a, a a company member with Mark Rylance's Globe for a long time, and then like mm-hmm. was homeless for a bit after that. And yeah, he just. I I found out he died and sort of went into a deep dive of learning about his career. Anyways, um, I, I fell in love with, with his performance as Mercutio. Um, you know, I was seven, so I liked that he had a sword fight. Um, and I liked that he was funny. Um, but when my mother was sort of prepping me for it, she said, so look out for this guy Mercutio. He's funny. He's clown. Um, and of course you've both seen the Zeffirelli film you know it's it's Mm -hmm. it's it's in Italy it's sun-drenched everyone's in pastels um and John Mercutio isn't um he's in all black um like the 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 production the the costume design is a perfectly valid costume design for a traditional production of Hamlet like he's he's Mm -hmm. black it looks like he's in mourning um and, uh, you know, I was seven, so I, I can't say that, uh, you know, I can't say that I saw that and went, oh, Mercutio's gay. But I saw that and I went, he's funny and he's sad. He he works really hard to make people laugh because he can't anymore. Yeah. Um, and that was something that even at that early age, I found um, massively moving. Um, and I think perhaps perhaps always having been of a slightly melancholic disposition. I tend to grab, you know, my favorite, my favorite literary character of all time is Cyrano de Bergerac and yes. what a three and a, three and a half hour ode to self-flagellation and self yes. So, um, uh, you know, maybe it says a little bit more about me than, than the text, but, um, but I, I, uh, yeah, I just, I, f- I, I found him really compelling for that reason. And I keep coming back to the character again and again. Um, mm-hmm. And I I want to say that sort of like what I'm about to lay out is how I would approach the part. Um, it's not, um, and and I oops, sorry. The I sorry. <laughs> did you watch that that was that was. Uh, so I was the when the porters did Taming of the Shrew a full year ago. I set myself a reminder to buy props, um, and I've not figured out how to turn the reminder off. So for the last 365 day, uh, days. Uh, every every day at 11 a.m. I get a, a beep reminding me to buy props for taming the shrew. So anyone knows
1: how to That's so great. <laughs> it's so to
0: what it means to be an artistic director? <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: yes, yes. Uh, well, although it's for porters, so that's not. It's what it means to be a a, a grunt for the porters of Hell's Gate. Um, but um, yeah, if anyone knows how to turn those Apple reminders off, then please please do give me a, a heads up. Um, but um, and the reason I want to say that is because I think that it's hard to talk about Mercutio's sexuality in isolation. Um, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about Andrew... I saw Andrew Scott's Hamlet recently, and which has sort of had me thinking about him as a person. And I sort of went on a, a deep dive. And he he actually, he was talking... He is gay. And he when he came out, he gave this interview um, where he was talking about his sexuality. And I think he, he does it in a way that... Um, He's certainly more self-aware than Mercutio, I think, but he he says that it's it's not um, it's not a crime anymore, and it's not a talent like playing the banjo. It's just sort of part of the makeup. So I've I've been trying to find a way to talk about Mercuse, Mercutio's sexual identity and isolation, um, but I think it's it's so mixed up with the rest of him. This is just going to turn into sort of a a generalized thesis for which I apologize.
0: And also, we want to you know be clear too that sexuality is fluid it is it is mm-hmm. you know we try to put these people in little boxes of like homosexual heterosexual bisexual but there's there are no boxes so there's a whole, so spectrum. There's a whole yeah. spectrum so also don't feel like you have to put them into a box exactly right. yeah. because what? those boxes are um, made by society and they suck and bye, and, bye. and they
2: keep people in prison well and actually i think that's part of actually right off the bat i think that's sort of what what Mercutio is dealing with is um, he doesn't know what's going on with himself. I think that he is, I think he does prefer men and I think he's in love with Romeo, but, um, but I don't think he's able to put it in those words. I don't think he's able to think of it that clearly or that succinctly. Um, Just sort of a little bit about obviously sort of like background of the play. Like we're in Verona. um, We're in early Renaissance Verona is when the play is, the play is written. Obviously that can and has been, transposed to any number of time periods but we're in we're in a war zone essentially the the Capulets and the Montagues have been fighting <clears throat> excuse me I ate a bagel this morning and cream cheese was blocking my esophagus um uh I'm gonna take that again
0: <laughs> we're no we're keeping, that. That's we're keeping that
2: Or feel free to leave that in I don't care um uh um I uh so we're in a war zone. Um the Capulets and the Montagues have been fighting f- f- for so long that no one remembers why the battle began. Like it's just it's just part of daily life. Um young men live short hard lives and they they often end violently. I think this is a world where most of the young young people that we meet in the play um expect to be dead soon. Um and one of the things I, you know, I'd not really studied the play, you know, I'd spent a lot of time fanboying over Mercutio, but I'd not really studied the play intensely until I uh, I played Romeo la- at the end of last year. Um, and the thing that struck me was sort of, the thing that caught my attention was different young people's attitudes towards the war. Because I do think that at its heart, Romeo and Juliet's not actually a play about young love. I think it's a play about the generational divide. Um, And that tension between the old and the young Um, and what happens when, you know, when the older generation loses perspective over the fact that they are the older generation and that the world that they're inhabiting is no longer their world, but the world that they need to prepare for their children. Obviously, this play is not even remotely topical for 2020. Um, um, so, um. The thing that struck me is like Romeo is it, Romeo hates this fight. You know, he he comes in and he, you know he's he's been sort of like avoiding his family, he's been avoiding his house and 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 he his, one of his first lines is I mean, what Frey was here yet tell me not for I've heard it all. Uh, you know, here's much to do with hate yet more with love. Um and I think that I think that Romeo's attitude towards the the fighting is integral to understanding Mercutio's sexuality because I think the image I have of Romeo is um, this like little delicate flower in the middle of no man's land. Like if we're at the Somme or something. Um, or I think about, I often think about the last image of All Quiet on the Western Front when, when the main character sort of tries to, he puts his head over the top of the trench to try and sketch this flower. That, or, or I can't remember if it's a flower or a bird. Um, and, and he gets his head blown off, just trying on the last day of the war, just trying to take a look at something beautiful. Um and I think that's Mercutio's arc in a nutshell. Um Mercutio I don't think Mercutio is is uh he's a member of the royal family. He's the cousin of the prince. Um I think he's definitely the black sheep of the family. You know, Paris Paris is I think the cousin that is trotted out for state functions and Mercutio is the one that has uh a security and PR detail assigned to him. But um but he is a member of the royal family and that means you know, I was watching The Crown recently and, um, you know, I, this latest season has been um, come under fire for uh, artistic licenses that have been taken. But the thing that just struck me watching it was how much pressure these people are put under. Right. Like these people, you know, I mean, Shakespeare, again, Shakespeare just hits the nail on the head. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. You know, these people at the top aren't allowed to be their own people. And that affects. um that affects different members of the royal family in different ways. That you've got, you know, the Queen Elizabeths or the Count Parises or the Princess Galisses, who just sort of take that burden and just put it on their shoulders, and they they suppress their own personalities, and they're like, you know what, off we go. This is just sort of how life is. And then you've got the like the Princess Margarets or the Hotspurs or the Mercutios. Or you know, or or like, or or King Edward, right? Um, you know these people who whose own personalities don't fit into that cookie cutter mold, um, but they're not they're not surrounded by a, a world or a family that allows them to explore anything. Um, and the thing that strikes me about you know Mer- Mercutio, Mercutio's function in the play is he just has to be entertaining, and then he has to be dead, right? um that that he doesn't we don't see him you know have relationships with with anyone except for romeo and benvolio but it sort of it struck me just how many um i did mercutio in a reading it's the only time of the only opportunity i've had to really explore this part um and what struck me was just how thick and fast the double entendres come um that um you know that that uh you know one of his first lines you know prick love for pricking you beat love down right that there's there's this there, immediately there's this association of of love and violence right that it's something to struggle with um uh you know i could i could go on and on, you know open open if you open a page of romeo and juliet and you'll you'll find mercutio um releasing some violent sexual imagery and and the, the question that I have of course there is why I mean you have it's in his name right mercutio mercurial born under mercury a firebrand someone who is not at ease Um, his changeable and The question that I, I immediately have to ask is why and the fact that he's coming back to Sex time and again would 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 indicate to me that that there is that, that is what's sort of underneath the sort of the, the, the churning that there that's what's underneath the surface. That's what he's struggling with is who, you know, who what am I in relation to this? And he does what all young men do when when they're confronted with something they don't understand. They mock it, they put barriers up, they 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 they, they sort of try and find where the line is and then they jump over it. Um so uh, Mercutio does that, and then he takes it to eleven. And I, I kind of want to go. He's, it's only a four scene part, um, so I, I kind of want to go through just sort of like scene by scene, and, and take us through the the emotional journey, if that's okay. And I'll make it I'll make it as snappy as possible. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so um, right off the bat, we first meet him um, as the as the the friends or as as the the gangs going to crash the party. Right, uh, Mercutio we know has an invitation. He is a member of the establishment. He doesn't ostent, you know. He he personally has beef with the Capulets because Romeo and Benvolio or his his posse, but um he uh, he you know societally he's accepted. He he can walk into the Capulet house without having his throat cut. Um, so we understand. So we can assume that Mercutio is their entrance ticket to the ball. Um, Romeo comes in and he's like, you know what? Get out of! Here. I'm not going to dance. You guys go on, have fun. I'm I'm just too sad. Um, and it's interesting looking at Mercutio's I'm always interested in, in a character's first line because I, I you know obviously it's it's our introduction to the character um it's it's the it's the very first inkling that we have of, of the journey that we're about to be taken on and and Mercutio's very first words in the play are nay gentle Romeo we must have you dance um which compared to what's about to come, which is of course the Queen Mab speech uh, is very tame, right? It's very, uh, it's very warm. It's very, uh, it's, it's, it's caring. Um, and I think that too often Mercutios are driving to Queen Mab and they don't give enough time to come on, buddy, just dance. Um, and I think that right there we've got his entire relationship with Romeo in a sentence. Um how, how heartbreaking to to find to have this connection to someone who's constantly falling in love with the wrong people. You know, that there's that there's that um there's that two there's that double bladed sword of I want you for myself, but I can't admit that I want you for myself, which I admit is pure conjecture. I there there's a very real possibility that I am layering that on top of the character. That,
1: do you think that Mercutio is aware of that? Or do no, you think it's something that's going under the surface? Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, yeah I, I agree. agree.
2: Yeah, no, no, go for it. I don't think he's even slightly aware for it. I think I think what he is aware of is this is this is someone that I care about deeply. I think he is able to admit that this is someone that he that, that is a member of his 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 gang, right? Um he feels drawn to Romeo, but I think he feels massively protective of Romeo. And I think that's what comes out in the very first line of, of in his very first line in the play. Um, and I think it is what I think that a gentle Rome, he calls him gentle Romeo. And I really do think again, like going back to that image from all quiet in the Western front that he really does think of Romeo as this, this, this last piece of real beauty in the world that, you know, he himself, and as we see in just a minute, Mercutio is, is preoccupied with the hideous. He's preoccupied with the freakish and the ugly, um, you know he 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 then goes into teasing romeo about that he's preoccupied with the freakish with the freakish and the ugly and 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 romeo is this pure thing this 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 young man the heir of the montagues right not just a montague but he is the son of montague and romeo has resisted this this war that has just, that has been just tearing this city apart um and i think that that is I think that that is something that's incredibly attractive to Mercutio. You know, there's some there's some conjecture that Mercutio is a veteran based on imagery in the Queen Mab speech, and I think that it's possible. Um, I don't think he has to be a veteran of foreign wars, though. I think every day of his life he's been confronted with street violence. Um, so so yeah, essentially he's you know he's 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 born and bred and blood. Um, and there's this person who's not a woman, who's a man and being groomed to be a powerful man um, who is rejecting the ways of his father. And I think that that's something that he immediately wants to try and preserve and protect. Um, So he goes into teasing Romeo about Rosalind. Um, uh, You know, if if love be rough with you, be rough with love. Prick love for pricking and you beat love down. Um, When I played Romeo, my Mercutio smacked me in the balls on that, um, which was always a nerve-wracking part of the performance. Um, and then he goes, give me a case to put my visage in, a visor for a visor. What care I, what curious eye doth quote deformities. Here are the beetle brows shall blush for me. So again, right, right away, he's talking about, give me a mask. You know, he's, he's, he's teasing, he's teasing Romeo about, about Rosalind. Um, and he's, he, which is, you know, his, his, unacknowledged rival right that there is romeo romeo is being pulled away from from pulled into something uh, pulled into a destructive relationship right or or not not even a relationship like romeo's he's fallen in love with a nun right of course this young man has fallen in love with someone who will never ever be with him um and and I think that uh, something that I would want to explore at the part is that as he's you know that Rosalind is sort of his his pressure is Mercutio's pressure point that when we start talking about Rosalind um, our hackles get up just a little bit um, and that that you know beat love prick love for pricking and you beat love down right if love be rough with you be rough with love he's what you know he's saying that it, you know this is this isn't treating you well so fight back man. Um, you know, for God's sake, do something! It's it, and and I and I would say that I would want to get to that level of frustration that it is, you know, open your eyes, you you dumbass! Like, look at what's in front of you, and then that motivates the oh God, give me a mask, give me a mask, it's fine. Um, you know, uh, don't pay attention to me, just give me give me a mask. I'm gonna hide, I'm gonna hide my face, right? Um, and then Romeo, of course, says he's gonna go home. Um. And he says, uh, and then and then he con- he confides in Mercutio. He says, "I dreamt a dream tonight." Mercutio says, well, "So did I. Well, what was yours?" The dreamers often lie. Romeo tries to shut the conversation down in bed, asleep, while they do dream things true. And then Mercutio launches into his most famous speech. Oh, then I see Queen Mab hath been with you. Um, and I, you know, I enjoyed the speech when I was younger because you know it, it's it's sort of it's a it's kind of a it's a guitar solo for a great vocalist. Um so there's there's an aesthetic pleasure in in listening to a great actor read out this speech. But actually in preparation for the reading and then again looking at it to to prepare for this, I realized that it's not um really saying much of anything. <laughs> that it's it's not uh you know it's it's as long if not longer than any of for instance like Hamlet's soliloquies. But while Hamlet's soliloquies are a, aesthetically beautiful, and B, um, uh, have real insight into the human condition. Um, Queen Mab is, is a, a, a litany of increasingly disturbed images. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the challenge. I think that, you know, I think of any, of any speech I've been confronted with, Queen, you know, of any, and any part that I could reasonably play, right? Queen Mab scares me the most um hamlet doesn't give me a moment's fright right cuz that's that those are soliloquies that you, they're so well written you can just sort of surf the ideas um and 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 they comment on on such universal fears and concerns that an actor you know an actor has no trouble bringing themselves to it but queen mab is 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 an in, it it's 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 an insight into an increasingly disjointed mind um, and it starts off pretty, you know, it starts off like something you might expect from Midsummer. You know, I see Queen Mab have been with you, she is the fairy's midwife, and she comes in shape no bigger than an agate stone on the forefinger of an alderman. drawn with a team of little atomies athwart men's noses as they lie asleep, her wagon spokes made of long spiders' legs cover of the wings of grasshoppers the traces of the smallest spider's web the collars of the moonshine's watery beams her whip of cricket's bone the lash of film her wagoner a small gray coated gnat not so big uh, uh ooh, not so big as a round little worm pricked from the lazy finger of a maid you know so it's it's very bucolic imagery it's it's a naturalistic imagery um you know and i think he's 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 mercutio is someone who who is, is always working very hard to keep the people around him entertained, to keep the people around him laughing. Um, and and, and this, this is his way of really sort of, um, you know, prodding Romeo of, of sort of, 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 well, and I think of keeping him in the room, you know, that, that Romeo, Romeo is on his way out at the beginning of the Queen Mab speech. Um, and so Mercutio understands that he has to go into something a little bit more extended um but he gets carried away. Um there's a there's a very clear shift in the speech. Um I'm gonna skip ahead just a little bit. Uh, so uh, around the time, around the midpoint, so through lovers' brains and, uh, and in the state she gallops night by night through lovers' brains and then they dream of love or courtiers' knees that dream on curtsies straight or lawyers' fingers who straight dream on fees or ladies' lips who straight on kisses dream, which off to the angry mab with blisters plagues because their breaths with, uh, sweet meats tainted are, um, so already we're starting to go into, um, to a little bit more corporeal a little bit more uh, you know like gross imagery right all right we're getting into blisters right um Sometimes she gallops or a courtier, and then he pulls himself back. Sometimes she gallops or a courtier's nose, and then dreams he of smelling out a suit. Uh, and sometimes comes she with a tithe pig's tail, tickling a parson's nose as he lies asleep. Then dreams he of another benefice, and then there's a sharp um, shift. Sometime driveth she or, uh, she driveth or a soldier's neck, and then dreams he of cutting foreign throats of breeches, ambuscados, Spanish blades, of helds five fathom deep and then anon, drums in his ear at which he starts and wakes, and being thus frighted, swears a prayer or two and sleeps again. This is that very mab that plaits the manes of horses in the night and bakes the elf-locks in foul sluttish hairs, which once untangled, much misfortune bodes. (laughs) This is the hag, when maids lie on their backs, that presses them and learns them first to bear, making them women of good carriage, this is she, and then Romeo cuts him off on peace Mercutio, peace, thou talk'st of nothing. Thing. But you know, and I don't have a full answer on You know, again, Queen Mab is the speech that I look at it and go, "What the fuck?" Um, and on alternative, if I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast, "What the hell?" Um, uh, but uh, that um, the thing, the 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 thing that leaps out to me reading this, and I don't have a full answer, and I don't know, I don't know that Mercutio does, but that. We go from driving over a soldier's neck, cutting foreign throats, into loss of virginity. Um, that Mercutio has sex and violence sort of in- inexorably tied in his brain, um, and that uh, and and that I think that it's you know and that and that he and then the other the other sort of just important like basic fact is that he has to
1: be cut off. That Romeo has to stop him. Um, Do you think, well, do you think when Romeo is cutting him off with that line, because I've seen this performed multiple ways, Mm -hmm. is Romeo just trying to shut him up or is Romeo seeing that there is something going on and is trying to like be there for him?
2: I think he's trying to be there for him. And I think it's also, I think it's something that someone has to do for Mercutio once a party. I think Mercutio routinely goes off the, goes off the, the deep end like this. Um, but I do. Th- I think it has to be played as Romeo being there for his friend. Because if he's just trying to shut him up, what does that what does that show us about Romeo? No, I think he's. I think he's there for his friend. I think he's peace, Mercutio. Peace, thou talkest of nothing. Calm down. Breathe. Um, I
1: think because I, I like. I like what you said about Mercutio kind of doing this once. Once a party. Do you think there's an element of him that knows when he goes off the deep end like this? Romeo will be the one to show up and be there for him so it's you know it's you we have conversations sometimes with kids having tantrums because they get attention i don't know just throwing I, that out there. i had never thought of it that way but i love that idea
2: um mm. you've actually just unlocked a huge a huge possibility for me yeah <laughs> i had never i had never thought of it that way before but i think you're absolutely on the money i think he does it. i think there there is part of him that expects romeo to to be the one to save him um mm. and and he launches he then calms down and says actually his my favourite line of his in the play, um true, I talk of dreams which are the children of an idle brain, begot of nothing but vain fantasy which is as thin of substance as the air, and more inconstant than the wind, who woos even now the frozen bosom of the north, and being angered, puffs away from thence turning his face to the dew dropping south. Now, on, on, on the surface, I think he is talking about... The back half of that line, I think, is pretty clearly about Romeo. You know, Romeo, who has devoted all of his time and energy to um, wooing a nun. Um, <laughs> literally the frozen bosom of the North. Um, but I think he talks about it with such poetry and with such understanding. I don't think Mercutio would have that kind of insight if he wasn't also talking about himself. You know, that the, I talk of dreams, which are the children of an idle brain, begot of nothing but vain fantasy. Like those those lines are so thick with longing. Um, yeah. yeah my I,
0: point, this speech has always been, like you said, Mercutio gets drunk at every party. There's this moment where something starts off feeling like a joke or like this, like you were saying earlier, this thing that feels like this beautiful midsummer poetry. But then as he's talking, this longing, this bitterness, this, um, this frustration starts to build and it comes out. And I think Romeo is fully aware of how Mercutio feels about him, mm. but Benvolio is there. And so I feel like half the piece is like, ha ha, Benvolio, right? Like trying to make Benvolio laugh, trying to cover. And then the other half of it is very much staring at Romeo, saying this to him. And it's this veiled you know, fuck you for, for breaking my heart or, or, or leading me on or whatever it may be. I don't know. In my mind, I feel like Romeo is a lover. He loves everyone. I feel like Romeo is very fluid too. Mm -hmm. And I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know, in my mind, something has happened between Mercutio and Romeo at some point. And it meant more to Mercutio than it did to Romeo. Mm -hmm. And so it just kills Mercutio to see romeo off on and
1: just time and time again following
0: him yeah yeah it's in and benvolio doesn't know about any of this and so this speech is him yeah it's it's like a fuck you to romeo but also covering with like oh i'm just drunk like i'm just drunk and then that's why romeo cuts him off because it's it's dude calm down
1: there was so i saw when i was living in london i saw kenneth branagh's romeo and juliet where he had um Derek Jacobi playing Mercutio as kind of this older fading queen in this beautiful white suit. But there was kind of an interesting dynamic that comes up because I think you're right. I think there is such an undertone of um, sex and violence and the way that Queen Mab happens in that show. It's almost, it's, it's less of an active aggressive bitterness uh-huh. and more of like remorse is the wrong word, but it's like, he is still around. He is still hanging with the boys, even though he is much older, and he didn't get the lifetime romance that he should have. And I think there's an interesting element when you age Mercutio up a bunch, which I think, you know, in that production it was just like, It's Derek Jackie. Of course yeah. we're gonna put him in Mercutio. It's gonna be great. Um but yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting choice. An interesting choice, yeah. Yeah.
2: Um Dear God, I would love to hear Derek Jacobi deliver this speech. Like I think it's almost it's almost made for his voice, that just that silky that silky voice. Um yeah, I uh I think either way there's there's a, a certain fuck you aspect to it. I don't know what um Romeo having had a fling with Mercutio and now making Mercutio an ex does to the audience perception of Romeo. Um, like, and I don't know, like, I think it's, I think it's something that would have to be explored, um, in rehearsal, but I think that either, whether, whether or not they've had a, a sort of explicit fling before, um, there is definitely an element of, th- there is a deep pain. I think you're right. Uh, Alex, Alex and Cody, you're both, you're both right. in that, like that, um, there is a deep pain at seeing this, this guy flip from inappropriate woman to inappropriate man or woman, or, you know, that he's, that that he's 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 going with all of these wrong people when Mercutio knows in in their heart of hearts that he's that 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 they would be good together, um, um, or you know or or if if he does or if he's not sort of fully aware of his sexuality, which again for 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 me I think I would probably want to play it that Mercutio doesn't maybe has never had sex with a man before, but but has that sort of yeah to, to my mind. And again, I think there's no right or wrong. To my mind, I don't know that I would want to play it that Mercutio has had a fling with Romeo just because I don't um for myself as a performer, I don't know that he would keep coming back to these I don't know that he would uh, have such a uh a an antagonistic relationship to sex if it was something that he had conquered, if it was something that he had um Experienced in 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 a healthy way, um, and I don't know that Romeo and Mercutio would have just sort of had a. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, but um, but I think you're I think you're absolutely on the money when it comes to. There's deep pain and there's deep longing tied to this
0: person. Um, it's Interesting, just really quickly, because <laughs> then you said that, and this is why we love we love to have these conversations because it brings up just so many. The whole point of this podcast is like, what does your own history, how does your own history influence yeah. you, your mm-hmm. perception on a character? Because we're all getting triggered by by different things, right? From our own background. Mm-hmm. And so when you said that about, you know, would he have this view on sexual, on
1: sex? If, if he it's, had conquered it. If he had conquered it. And Cody and I both looked at each other we're like, like, no. I think it might be because we're women too. But it's like, I think if they had had a moment, whether it was uh-huh. like a full on fling or just something happened, they were both drunk, it happened. Mm-hmm. And then to have that taken away, yeah. there is something that feels so violating when you open yourself up that way. And then it's ignored or removed or not mm-hmm. talked about that can build this really intense bitterness towards S- sex towards sex, toward sex, and that mm-hmm. person. Of like, I don't want to be the person who
0: cares more. I don't yeah. want to be the person who who's reading too much into this one thing that for them was just fun. Like they whatever. It's just, why fun. can't
1: I not care? Yeah. And,
0: and, and now I have to hang around them because they're my friend and I love them and I want more. And also I don't want to be the person who stops right? hanging around, but you know, just it, because something happened, but this is the point, yeah. right? It's like it either, either perception is totally fine. The audience will never know. Yeah. Yeah. But it just colors it, a character. If it just colors it differently for you or helps you go, now Queen Mab makes sense to me, or now this moment, then that's all that that's all that matters. This is why I love having these conversations because, you know, well I I loved you in Romeo and Juliet, and I'm sure if I was like, tell me about this choice, this choice as Romeo and hearing why you made that, I might go, man, I would never make that choice, but it's it, it just so perfectly fit yeah. you, yeah. you know. Well, and, anyway, and
2: yeah, and it's why <laughs> this body of work I think survives too that it it can and must exist in that plurality that each that it doesn't really exist on the page. It only exists when it's put in the the mouth and the heart of an actor. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it, sort of this, it also just sort of, you you sparked something that um, I also, I've been talking about Mercutio as a dude, but I also, I really don't think that there's any reason that Mercutio can't or shouldn't be played as a woman. Um,
0: Yeah, Nina did such a beautiful job. And speaking of the production that, that you did, I thought she was a fantastic Mercutio.
2: Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was phenomenal. Um, and I, you know, and I think that there's, and and even talking about sort of like the 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 spectrum of femininity. Like I know Dana, Dana played it as a woman, but she also sort of played it as uh, sort of uh, non non gender specific, sort of like gender fluid. Like she sort of turned into this like Peter P, P, Peter Pan esque figure, um, which I think worked wonders for the character. Part of me wants to see just like a straight up femme, uh performance like a straight like a straight up femme full-on femme presenting mercutio and like what does that do to the story um
1: uh so yeah just like quickly jump in do you think mercutio's gender and or sexuality changes the show at all or maybe it doesn't but do you do you feel just to like throw that out there let you let you run run with that one I think it does. I think it um I think it
2: has to. Uh I well so I don't it doesn't change I think it changes certain aspects of the story. Again, the only functions the only like bottom line that Mercutio has to fulfill in the play is they have to be entertaining and then they have to be dead. Um and they you know they have to mean enough to Romeo to motivate Romeo flying into a rage and killing Tybalt. Um so uh but within that I think there's a lot of there's a lot of room room to play. I think I've seen productions of Romeo and Juliet where there's, there's no sexual tension between, between Romeo and Mercutio. Um, and, and, a, I've seen productions where they've, you know, I think the with the John McHenry, they, they sort of like hinted at it. Um, uh, you know, I think it does. I don't want to try and say exactly how, because again, like I think, it, it it's impossible to predict like the only it's, you know, like you said, like the only way that you're going to get this play is if you put actors into a room together and see what happens. Um, but I think the answer is yes, absolutely. It changes it. Um, and I think it changes, I think it, whether or not Mercutio is in love with Romeo slightly, slightly changes the duel actually. Um, and the motivation of going into the duel, right? Mm-hmm. Romeo talks Tybalt down off the ledge, right? Um, well, well, we don't know. Again, like that's the, that's the other thing, right? Is that there's there's enough Mercutio not on the page that there's a lot of room to color in between the lines, um, just like Tybalt. I mean, Tybalt. Do you know? I found out recently Basil Rathbone was nominated for an Academy Award for playing Tybalt, which is is astounding to me because it's it's looking. Really. Yeah, it's it's. I, that. I think he may have been the first person to be nominated for a
0: Shakespeare part ever. Actually, oh, that's so cool. Um, you know, the more we're talking about this, it also strikes me that. This show, there's no. I mean, this is going to sound really idiotic, but there's no relationship in this show that is neutral. Like, and in Shakespeare, that's true. I, I think for for all of Shakespeare's characters and relationships that yeah. are written in, but especially in this show, every relationship is so charged mm-hmm. yeah. and even between the factions of the of the Montagues and the Capulets, but then it, it's showcasing all different kinds of love and tenderness and relationships, but uh, Juliet and the nurse versus Juliet and her parents and Juliet and her the mom friar. and, mm-hmm. and the, and the friar, like everyone, everyone is so invested in each other, mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. it's um, in, in the fighting of each other with, with, again, the two families or the interpersonal relationships. So it makes sense to me that Shakespeare would, would have a relationship a longing
1: that is not um returned yeah. I think it 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 gives so much more like justification for the actions that then get taken during the show. If Mercutio mm-hmm. is just another friend that again has a neutral relationship, I don't think you believe Romeo upheaving his life in the way mm-hmm. that he does. Mm-hmm. Unless there's yeah. something, I agree, charged. Yeah, well, and I think that can be, there's,
2: you know, to sort of argue against myself, that can also be fraternal. Like, I think, you know, I I have dear, dear male friends who I, you know, there's no sexual tension, but if they, if someone killed them, that would, like, I would be, like, John, my dear friend Jono Island, right? Who, Alex, uh, you know, all three of like I love John- <laughs> it's Like, if someone, if someone killed Jono, that would completely upend my life. Like, that would- that would destroy me, um, and I would I would rain hellfire. Like, and I'm I'm not a violent person, but whoever hurt that man, I would rain hellfire on them.
0: I would too. He's just the most hearted Amazing. I don't know him, be. but
1: I'm gonna back you guys on we this. We
2: You have to you have to know Jono. But the the. Um, uh, so I think there's a lot of plural, I think there, there is plurality in that, in that relationship, but I, I agree from Mercutio's perspective, I, well, and I actually, I want to talk about the next scene real quick, because I think it, it's actually the most convincing case for, for, um, for that, that longing that we've been talking about, um, which is, is when Mercutio and Benvolio are sort of chasing after Romeo, it's the, it's 2.1, it's, it's the, the tiny little scene right before the balcony scene. Um, and most of it is Mercutio just sort of indulging in his normal verbal gymnastics. He's hollering after Romeo. He and Ben Bully are plastered, blackout drunk, and it's got you know I conjure thee by Rosalind's bright eyes, by her high forehead, scarlet lip, straight leg, quivering thigh, and the domains that they're adjacent lie. Like you know, nor- normal normal Merc- Mercutio speak. But then there's there's a massive there's another massive shift where we sort of like the clown drops for a second um, in his last line. He says, if love be blind, love cannot hit the mark. Romeo, good night. I'll to my truckle bed. This field bed is too cold for me to sleep. Come, shall we go? And then Benvolio comes in and says, go then, for tis in vain to seek him here that means not to be found. And again, there are many ways of playing it. The version that I would be interested in seeing is that, you know, obviously he's sort of like riding the alcohol high for the the first two thirds of the scene, but then it sort of like drops for a second. Like I would love to see it where, Suddenly, it just hits Mercutio that wait, Romeo's not here. Romeo maybe went home with someone. And then that final Romeo, good night, ultimate truckle bed gains an aspect of desperation um, that I think you know maybe don't obey the verse line quite so much. Really, there's a semicolon in the middle, so give that you know right after good night, give that semicolon its due. Wait for a response. So it, it, rather than you know fine, fuck you, I'm out of here. That it's it's Romeo, good night.
0: Okay, I'm going.
1: I'm not gonna. Yeah, you want that. I, so I do a lot of um, work with shakes on the deck, which is very folio based. And in the folio method, that semicolon in the middle instructs the actor to take a huge breath there before going into the next line. So it's 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 there. It's meant to be
2: done. There. <laughs> um, and, and I love just Alex, you were talking about sort of like how there, there isn't a relationship that isn't charged. I love Benvolio's response that Benvolio comes in. He's like, come on, bud, let's go home. Let's let's go home. It's time. Pack it in. That that I think that that maybe Benvolio is more aware of what's going on, whatever that is, Benvolio is more aware than we give him credit for. And yeah, that I love that. Benvolio is the person who ends up having to tuck Mercutio in. Um Yeah, it's a it's a it's a beautiful ode to like that sort of the young, that they're, you know, young, confused friendship. That like all of these people are at a point in their lives where they just don't know who they are or what they're doing.
1: Being a teenager is hard. It's hard.
2: <laughs> it sucks. I don't. I'm working. I'm working with teenagers right now. Um, on a on a Pericles, actually. They're they're doing a Zoom Pericles, but they're they're. Um, im. Impre- I'm so impressed by how together they are. Cause I remember being 16 years old and just like, you know, life was a hellscape. Um
0: really quickly just for people who are listening will and i met on pericles which is why he got so very excited. <laughs> excited about pericles <laughs>
2: um apologies um I just, I just
0: don't apologize i just thought that was beautiful
1: i just got that. excited
2: um yeah and i well and, and i sort of talking hitting on the idea of like what does it do to the story like i think the the major decision that Mercutio takes in the playwright is to fight Tybalt. And and there are reasons, like there, and I think, and I think that is, that's also sort of like the quintessential question of, like, that's not something that can be decided outside of a rehearsal room, because there's just so little on the page. Um, Romeo says, you know, dear Capulet, whose name I, sh- I tender as dearly as my own, be satisfied. And then the next line is Mercutio saying, oh, calm, vile, dishonorable submission. There's a there's a plethora of ways to play it. Um Charles Pasternak actually was telling me about when he played Romeo that he actually um got Tybalt to to sort of sheath his sword and that for a moment, um, it looked like everything was gonna be okay, and Mercutio was upstage and everyone was and that sort of like cracking the silence was just the sound of Mercutio's sword being drawn. That for for a fraction of a second it looked like Tybalt and Romeo and everyone's gonna make it out alive, and then Mercutio couldn't resist. Butting in um but that would that I think that's a moment where like again, I don't know what the right answer is, but there there are a th- you know does does Mercutio get in to protect Romeo does tybalt i i you know i d di- I'm not a huge fan of the 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 Leonardo DiCaprio movie, but something I remember about it is that Mercutio like literally leaps in front of Tybalt as he's trying to like get Romeo from behind that the fight starts because Mercutio's trying to trying to protect Romeo um and I think that that would be such an interesting thing to explore, especially given his final sentiments. You know, again, there's there's Mercutio dies the way that he lives, which is loudly. Um, but uh, there is this sort of heart wrenching, intimate moment in the middle of his death speech where he pulls Romeo to him and says, Why the devil came you between us? I was hurt under your arm. Which, you know, gift for a fight choreographer, that means Romeo has to get in between Romeo, uh, Tybalt and Mercutio at some point in the fight. But, um, but that there is this 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 just this massive sense of hurt that you know, and it's it's not just about that moment. But what if that line is, "I could have had a life if it wasn't for you," you know, "I could have, I could have done," you know, "it's this it's this more than you've made worms meet of me, more than plague on both your houses." That that one intimate moment just screams of a life lost, and and not just not just a death, but that so much this person could have done if it weren't for you know his ability maybe his ability to uh talk about his own feelings for romeo or romeo's ability to recognize them or mercutio's ability to butt out like all of the above again like it's a play about young people being confused and and i think that that, that you know shakespeare, shakespeare obviously he's the master wordsmith and and we also we have to pay Great attention to the poetry, but I almost prefer when he gets simple, because um, mm-hmm. I think that that he he knows when he knows when he knows when less is more, and he knows when one sentence will speak volumes.
0: I have a question about a line um, that is often brought up when people talk about Mercutio and his sexuality, which is the uh, "pop and pair open arse" line. What are your thoughts on that on that moment? Um. I mean, yes, I think it's,
2: it's, it's potentially a reference to, to, you know, gay sex, but it's, it's, to my mind, that's just sort of, that along with, uh, I, I wrote down an exchange between Mercutio and Benvolio, where he, he's talking about, uh, you know, uh, the, the exchanges, why is not this better than now than growing? For now thou, Romeo, now art thou with thou uh, art as well as by nature, for this driveling love is like a great natural that runs lolling up and down to hide his bauble in a hole, Benvolio <laughs> comes in and says, stop there, stop there. <laughs> Mercutio then says, thou desirest me to stop in my tail against the hair. Um, mm-hmm. Benvolio then comes in, thou wouldst else have made my tail large. And then Mercutio, I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. She was like, oh, thou art deceived, I would have made it short for I would come to the whole depth of my tail and meant indeed to occupy the argument no longer. And maybe it's just that I have the mind of a 12 year old, but it seems like that's a pretty <laughs> graphic description of yeah. Um uh, And I think that that's, it's, it's moments like that, it's moments like the arse pair and stopping in his tail against the hair that make me think that Mercutio hasn't acknowledged his sexuality, that this is the way that he finds to express these, thi- you know, the way that teenage boys do, where they're like, you know, I, I have this very vivid memory of being on the playground and we would uh, when i was like in 7th or 8th grade and we'd had a, a one of those like sex ed classes that the district sends to you and one of my friends came up to me and went will 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 i went yeah He went tampon and then ran away um and that it's yeah. like but the, like that's kind of how young men fraught like they you know you yeah. he's 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 giving it voice and he's taking it to the extreme cuz it's it's the only way that he has to express it cuz again i don't um obviously like how how comfortable mercutio would uh, i had a professor tell me that when you're doing a shakespeare play it's a complicated answer alex why do you ask hard questions i had a professor uh, tell me that when you're was talking about directing shakespeare that that there's always four contexts there's the play there's the context that the play was written in so 1590s england there's the context that the play is set in so 1510s verona italy there's the context that the production is being set in and then there's the context that the production is being produced in. Um and any any production has to in some way speak to all four times. So, you know, get into Shakespeare, it's a it's a cozy desk job. Um but um that uh you know, I feel like Merc- and this is why I say like Mercutio is is I mean, it's again in his name mercurial, Mercutio is a character that is going to be entirely defined by the production that he's in because if it's a, if it's a modern show um, you'll I think if it's like if it's a like if it's set in 2020, um, I feel like uh a a production would have to work harder to justify. Um, and I'm say, I'm not saying it's that you can't it can't be done, but a production would have to really work to justify this character not sort of Like it would have to really be part of the context that this character is not acknowledging that he's gay. Whereas if you set it in in the 1500s or or the Victorian era, for instance. We just sort of like by that context, we just accept that Mercutio is 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 if he's gay, he's repressed. Um, so uh, to my the the short the short answer to that is I think that these these are Mercutio sort of coming up to the edge of saying these are things I want to do, uh, but not quite having the courage to actually admit that that they're things that he wants to do.
0: And there's also there's always the option again because sexuality is so fluid that Mercutio you know likes women and likes men or he's, he's never loved a man before the way or been attracted to a man before the way he does with romeo you know there's says it doesn't have to be um gay straight or bisexual it can be he's discovering he's discovering and or yeah yeah you know
2: he, it, he's it, playing with it whatever whatever the context he's he's playing with the idea he's sort of like batting it around um mm-hmm. And whether whether or not he's been able to to act yeah, you know, there yeah, I'm not trying to shoehorn him into a box, but I think that Oh no there, You know you're not. Yeah. No, well, we
0: know well. But
2: there is but yeah, I think it seems to me that perhaps Mercutio is. I think that, that perhaps that what what yeah. they're calling out is that Mercutio himself is feeling a little trapped. And it's yeah. and that it's which again, to my mind, just sort of heightens the tragedy of the character that the you know we're getting glimpses of all these things that he didn't get to explore before he died um yeah
0: well, Will, we want to wrap up by asking you if Mercutio was a cocktail, what would he be?
2: So I, I actually think that he would be an absinthe drink. He'd be a green fairy.
0: Ooh, Ooh I like that.
2: This is a great answer. And it goes, it goes, it, I can't actually claim credit for it. I was going to say margarita. And then I was speaking to my, my partner, Margaret Starbuck, who is infinitely more intelligent. Margaret. Than I am. Um, and she was, she said, su- she suggested absinthe and I got thinking about it and she's right. Um, I was in a production, one of the very first full-length Shakespeare plays I did was Midsummer, and we did it first of five. Um, uh, and I, I, we set it in the 1890s in Athens, and, and we really sort of leaned into this, like, Bohemian subculture. And um, the actor who played Theseus in that production tried absinthe. He just went to the store and he bought just some raw, just just absinthe from the store. And he drank it untreated, and he said it tasted like black licorice fire was how he described it that it was drinking straight absinthe was a massively unpleasant experience and what we learned was that actually the in order to drink absinthe you need to like like melt sugar or something and 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 put it i should i i like most actors I earn my money as a bartender so i should I should know much more about this than I do but um but that you have to treat absinthe in order for it to be palatable and that's why I think uh but but untreated it is it is raw and it is, it is, it is, it's too hot to handle. And I think that that sums up Hercuse in a nutshell, that he is actually too hot to handle and he spends his entire time working very hard and very ineffectively to be a little bit more like the, what, what the authority figures in his life want him to
0: be. Yeah. I yeah.
1: Love that. Trying to dilute himself. I love that. Great answer. Thank you. Do you have a resource that you want to share?
2: Oh God. Um, I mean, I, Jesus, this is going to be hard. You're really going to have to edit this. You caught me off guard here. I forgot that that was a question.
1: Um, <laughs> it could be whatever you want. Yeah. A specific production that you love, your own company, like your go-to book. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to, it actually, it has nothing to do with
2: Romeo and Juliet, but I have recently discovered the collected works of Anthony Schur. Um, so I read Year of the King. About his experience playing Richard the Third and Year of the Fat Knight. About his experience playing Falstaff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anthony Schur, he's just a fin- he's a fantastic mind. He's a longtime member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. He's get ready for it, gay, white, Jewish, South African, um, born, born and raised in an affluent family in apartheid. Had no idea what was happening and happening until he went to drama school in London in the sixties. Opened a paper and went, oh shit. Um, and then, sort of, dedicated most of the rest of his—I uh, mean, he's still alive; he's still working—but dedicated, you know, a lot of time to trying to take down the apartheid regime. Um, but he's um, you i would recommend *You're the King*. It's—it's um, it's a rehearsal diary. It's—it's um, it's literally just his diaries preparing to play this very famous production of *Richard III*, um, which he, he famously did. It's the bottled spider production. Um, so he did it on these crutches. But he's—he's also—he's a fantastic illustrator. Um, and so it's, it's, they've got all these draw, like, it's, it's just, it's a fascinating insight into, uh, into how holistic this work can be that he, you know, he, he just sort of sketches like a madman, um, writes the diary, you know, you know, keeps this diary, which is, I mean, so good. They were able to publish it. Um, and it just like reading it, I read it last year and what it just really cracked open for me was that, um. There, there's no right way to do what we do. That it is that you can just sort that you can take all of your skills, right, all of your creative skills, and bring them bring them to bear on speaking these great words. Um, and it just it really opened my mind to um what this body of work can take, um and what it demands of you. Um and so yeah, those books have inspired me more than most things that I've read in the past.
1: Great answer. Well, thank you so much thank for joining well. us, Well,
2: Thank you. This was fun. This
1: has been wonderful. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thanks so much for having a drink with us. This podcast
0: was edited by Jojo from the podcast On That Note Mortals. Music written by Stephanie McGarrett. Graphics by Momo from Pitchfork Disaster. For more
1: information, check out
0: our website at shakepodcast.com. Or on Instagram at shakepod. Let's grab another drink soon. Yes, please.
1: And if you've enjoyed listening to Shake, 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 we would really appreciate it if you head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love you forever.